The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. The sermon this morning, the title this morning is Confidence in God. I, um, obviously, I know we haven't got through Romans chapter 8 yet, but we need a little bit of space for that. And there's one or two things happening over the next couple of weeks. So uh, this morning, we're going to not look at Romans, we're going to look at confidence in God. I've got two scriptures just to start us off. Hebrews 11 verse 6 and Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now, these scriptures remind us that that we need to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus. Our attention needs to be firmly placed upon God. Now, in honesty, uh, that's easier said than done, really, isn't it? Well, Well done. Well done. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. The third row is, is awake here. But that is easier said than done. We know, yeah, we know what the right things are to do. We're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus. We're supposed to do what the Bible says. But we struggle with that. So there is a struggle in us keeping our eyes upon Jesus. And the reason, and that's the course that we're set on, if you like. That's where our lives are supposed to be going. And so we want to keep our lives on that track. So I want to encourage us a little bit with that today. I've got a couple of points Um, and quite a lot to say in between them. Um, (laughs) First point is this, trust the brand. Coffee lovers, coffee lovers have their go-to brands. Burger lovers have their go-to brands. And of course, fried chicken lovers and pizza lovers have their go-to brands. Is that not right? It is right. It is right. The concept of a brand, as I'm sure you know, is that you, the consumer, have confidence in the product that the brand is offering. And that there's a consistency across the whole of the brand's outlets, if you like. So, for example, if you are a Starbucks person, and I know some, then your latte or your flat white or whatever you have in that store, it, it should look the same in one store, and it should taste the same, And it should give you the same coffee experience whether you are in Bournemouth or whether you're in Brighton or whether you're in Bognor Regis or whether you're in Bromley. Whatever, that was quite good, wasn't it? Alliteration of the bees, which are coming to my mind at that moment. So wherever you are, the idea of the brand, as you know, is that it doesn't matter where you are. When you see that brand, you go to that brand and your expectation is there. Because that's what you're expecting from that brand. So the same is true if you're going to a McDonald's, whether it be in wherever, and obviously KFC or something like that, then it's exactly the same. That's the concept of the brand, and it's, we, we love that because our expectation, our anticipation is therefore maintained. It's like we can trust this 
because it's going to be the same. Well, I say that, but actually, when you get to different stores, you do actually find, well, some stores are, are busier than others. And so there's a sense of like, oh, that could put, I prefer it when it's a bit quieter. This store seems to be really busy. Some stores, you know, you go there and you are served by Captain Annoyed, you know, the person who's frustrated. And, and that comes across to you, say, so your experience isn't quite what you'd been hoping for. Or even some places are really neat and tidy and others are, well, they're getting a bit tired and, you know, they're looking a little bit past it, as it were, a bit grubby. So there are some factors. And obviously, it's the area manager or the brand supervisor who's supposed to be going around to the stores to maintain standards. So everything should be the same. Coffee tastes the same. Pizzas taste the same. The whole store, the general atmosphere of the store is supposed to be the same. All of this is to keep on providing you, the customer, with those little nods of encouragement to just to let you know it's okay. You can have confidence in our brand. That's what it's all about. But that's talking about various brands, and we know that. But what about when we come to God? When we come to God, we are told, interestingly enough, that he is unchanging, that he is steadfast. He is always the same. And if you like, and I know it's a bit of a, a wide analogy, God is the ultimate brand. He's always the same. He's absolutely consistent wherever we are. Whether that might be at the top of the country or in some other country around the world, God is exactly the same. Now, as I say, I obviously accept that saying that God is a brand is not the best analogy. I do understand that. But the fact he has these unchanging qualities do indicate that we should have absolute confidence in him. However, here's the truth. We seem to exhibit a greater confidence in some of the brands around us than we do actually in God himself. So why is that? I guess it's because life throws at us all sorts of wobblies, as it were. And every now and again, a wobble comes to our lives that causes us to mistrust the quality of God, as it were, as our go-to brand. You know, it's like, you know, everything is fine in church. We had a great time of worship this morning. Oh, it was great on Sunday. I was in worship. I enjoyed that. I go to work on Monday, ah, that promotion that was mine, that was in the bag, as it were, at the end of last week, that's been given to somebody else, and now what, what is going on? Or that sense in which, like, the house we're going for, we're going to rent this new property, okay, we've got everything sorted out, and, we, and somebody pips us at the post. Disappointment comes in. That's not what I was expecting. Hey, that's not fair. Those sorts of things crash in upon us. And obviously, there's only a couple of, uh, of examples. There's many examples that we could give of what happens in life and it's when those things happen that we sort of think like, oh, hang on a second. God, how does this fit in with you, the steadfast one, the unchanging one, the good God? That's what the word of God tells us. And yet that doesn't seem good as far as I'm concerned. And you know what? Thoughts can go through our minds which sort of say like, God, don't you care? Don't you care about this? Have you seen what has happened to me? Why did this have to happen to me? Why don't you want what I want. That's often what it comes down to. And those sort of thoughts can come to us, and in such circumstances, we find it difficult to get ourselves back into a place of trust, as it were, in our brand, that God is faithful, that he is unchanging. And yet the Bible clearly teaches that he is utterly faithful and that he is completely reliable. Hence us wanting to look at this this morning, just to if you like, gain confidence, regain our strength and our confidence 
in the faith that we have in God. So that's about trusting the brand. Second point, back to the beginning. And we know from the sound of music that uh, to start at the very beginning is a very good place to start. But I'm not going to sing that. So why do we need to go back to the beginning? Back to the very beginning. It's helpful for us to remind ourselves about this. In the very beginning, we were not there. In the very beginning, the world was not there. In the very beginning, there was God. That is the foundation stone that we need to get ourselves back to. We need to come back to a perspective that is right, because often perspectives can be clouded. In, in my car, I've got a, a reversing, uh, a rear view camera, so that when you switch the car to reverse, on the screen, on the dashboard, only a small uh, picture comes up, but it's of what's going on behind you. But interestingly enough, when that comes up, up comes a warning message that say, things appear, uh, I don't know, was it, in, I can't even remember what it actually says now, even though I've seen it so many times. Things, don't, uh, things appear to be at a different distance from what they actually are, be careful, something like that. So in other words, this, this comes up to warn you that actually the perspective of the camera, because the camera is only a tiny little camera, and it's a sort of a wide-angle camera, so you get a big view of what's going on behind you. But of course, because it's very wide-angle, it distorts the distance. And so it tells you in this warning message, don't, don't, just be careful, because distances aren't always what they look like. Perspective gets altered because of that lens. And you know what? The perspective of our lives towards God, what is God like? That can be altered by the lens that we're looking through. The lens of experience, what's just happened to us, what is happening to us. That can cause us to think like, God, are you faithful? Are you trustworthy? Are you consistent? Are you always the same? Because right now, life isn't telling me that that seems to be the case. We can have a distortive perspective. And obviously, we don't want to have a distorted perspective. Hence us going back to the very beginning, because that helps us to be clear as to who God is. So let's ask this question, who is God? Who is God? God is, God always has been, God always will be. He is without beginning and without end. He is the eternal one, the ever-living one, the uncreated one. And he alone, he alone is the author of all creation. He is the beginning and the end of all things. That is who he is. And Paul in Colossians puts it like this. He says, everything that owes its existence, owes its existence to God. Colossians 1 verse 16, all things, it says, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Remembering that helps us to get a true perspective on life itself. And I know that life can appear random, Certainly, it can appear challenging. Sometimes it's difficult, and yet at other times, life is a breeze. It's not all of those things all the time. It's an adjustment of those things. But whatever our personal reflection on life is, God is always over our lives. God is always over all. He is the one who is in charge, and despite our own, self, our own sense of self-importance, we are always going to be subject to him. We don't always admit to that. We don't always think about that, but that is the truth. God is over all. God is the only uncreated one. God is the foundation stone of all things. As it says in Isaiah 45 verse 5, or rather as the Lord says, 
I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. That's what he says. And God's supremacy is underlined from a verse in Romans 14. Romans 14, 11, where it says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Every knee will bow. And you know, if every knee is going to bow down before God, we can clearly see that his position is that of ultimate authority over everything. And that is who he is. He is the one who is over all. He's certainly much greater than us. And that thought is underlined in Numbers. Numbers 23 verse 19 where God says, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak, the writer says, and then not act? Does he promise and then not fulfill? But he's saying, yes, of course he does. He speaks and he acts. He promises and he fulfills. Because that is who God is. He is faithful. But he's not like human beings. Unfortunately, we as human beings, we do sometimes lie. We do change our minds. We do blow hot and cold. That is not what God is like. He is consistent. And again in Isaiah, we find out more about God when he says, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do we struggle when things don't go as we have planned? Quite often, yes. Do we get discouraged when disappointments arise? Yes, we do. Do we get confused when our well-made plans are thwarted? Yes. These are true statements. But in each of those statements, has God ever stopped being in control and over all? No, he hasn't. You know, perhaps the, the real issue that we face is that we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being dictated to. We don't like the thought of being controlled. We would all rather be in control. But we need to learn and fully understand that's not how God operates. He is in control. We were created by him and for him. God is the boss. He is the one who is over us. As we've seen already in Isaiah 45 verse 5, I am the Lord, he says. I am the Lord, there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Now, you know, God is constantly working in each of our lives. Ephesians 1 verse 11 declares this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Who works out everything, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. This God who is over all isn't just sitting back and saying, well, let's just see what happens. He's there working in creation, working in our lives, working in your life for his purposes to be unfolded. God is watching over your life and is seeking to make sure that things conform to what he had purposed and planned. He is over all. He is working things out through our lives. 
And the good news is that God has promised us that he, as, as believers that is, that he is never going to leave us. He is never going to forsake us. He's always going to be with us. Matthew 28 verse 20, surely he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But he's not promised that he's always going to do what we want him to do. And I guess we need to say, yeah, okay, Lord, keep reminding me of that. Keep reminding me that despite I say, will you do this? Will you do that? I need this done. Can you sort this out? That that isn't the way it works. I can tell God what my needs are, although he already knows what my needs are. And he delights in the communication that I have with him. But he doesn't just respond to, oh yeah, of course, I'm sorry. God is not our servant. God is our boss. He is the one who is over our lives. And our life should be surrendered to him. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 46, verse 7, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. No matter what we're going through, no matter what challenges are coming against us, God is over every situation. Even the things that, I don't understand this. Why does this seem to be so difficult? Why is this happening to me? God, don't you care? Don't you understand? That can be often our reaction but God knows what he's doing. He is working his purposes out. And it, further on in uh, Psalm 46, it says this, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We need to bring our hearts and our minds into that place of stillness so that we have the opportunity to reflect upon who God is that we can understand his position. And I say this because we all need reminding. I need reminding because our focus can so easily be taken away from God. We can be distracted. We can be distracted by the things that are happening to us, by the spiritual forces that are around us, which want to derail us, which want to upset us, which want to throw us off course or sideline us. They are aiming to get us, but God is for us, not against us. And we need to stay close to him. We need to stay focused on him. We need to still down our lives so that we can remember who he is. And we also need to remember that God, of course, never promised us an easy ride in life. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus clearly said, In this world, you will have fun. No, he doesn't say that. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. doesn't mean to say we can't have fun as well. But he actually says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. And you know what? When we come to Scripture, there are many, many examples of people who actually, when you look at it, we know the story, and it seems like their lives actually, well, they're not that bad. But they went through the mill. And there were times in their lives where they must have thought, God, don't you care? What's this you're sending against me? Why am I going through this? Look at the example of Joseph. Joseph, a young man brought up in a household, loads of brothers, loads of older brothers. In fact, there were 10 older brothers, as far as he was concerned. Dad was there. But dad favored Joseph somehow more than the other brothers. And it was a, a mixed family, number of different mums and all this sort of stuff. But as he grew up, dad favored him and the brothers didn't like it. 
And even Joseph had a few ideas. He had a few sort of, wow, I've had this dream, and this is what I think. I see you lot bowing down before me. Whoa, who do you think you are, Joseph? And there came this rivalry and this competition in this family. His brothers got to the point of not just disliking him, but hating him. And so his brothers, his brothers sell him into slavery. And he's gone from being in his father's house, dealing with a family situation, into slavery. And into slavery, a captain of the guard actually takes him as his, as his boy, as it were. But he, he, he grows up into a position of some authority in the household. But the captain's wife thinks Joseph is a fine young man. And she wants to have sex with him. So she's after him, but Joseph is a godly boy. And he says, no, no, this is not right. How can I sin against God and allow that to happen? That's not happening. And one point... This woman gets hold of his, his coat and he runs off leaving the coat in her hand and she then says, hey, he tried to rape me. That takes him from a position of being at least a high-up slave to being in jail. Let's stop the story there. Is God in control? What's happening to my life? Why is these things coming against me? What on earth is happening to me? Why does it have to happen to me? Do you know what you're doing, God? You can imagine the thoughts that Joseph could have had because they're the thoughts that we tend to have when we find it difficult. When everything's swimmingly, we don't even need to worry about God. And that's another sermon. Because we always need to worry about God because he's always there and we need him. But it's when things get hard, when those wobblies come against us, what on earth are you doing? But there came a day in jail where Joseph was able to translate the, the dreams of a couple of men who'd come from, uh, from Pharaoh's court. Yes, that's right. Sorry, I've got a bit left over there. Comes from Pharaoh's court. One of them gets hanged. One of them goes back to work for Pharaoh. As he goes back to work for Pharaoh, Joseph says, please remember me. I'm here. This is not fair. I've done nothing wrong. I'm not here. But the guy forgets. Oh, come on, God. What are you playing at? He says, two years went by. You know how long two years is? It's longer than one year. And one year seemed long enough. Two years is ridiculous. Do you know what you are doing? That's the key point here. Listen, we're thinking in our hearts, God, do you know what you're doing? But there came a day when everything turned around. Joseph was taken out of the jail and he was brought before Pharaoh because this guy remembered, the wine server remembered, this guy, trans Joseph, translated dreams in jail and he can translate your dream, Pharaoh. To go from jail to standing in front of Pharaoh within the space of a few hours. Now, the story goes on, and if you want to read it, you need to read uh, towards the end of Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis. You can read the story there for yourself. But what happened is the brothers, because there was famine in Egypt, the brothers came to buy corn, and they came before Joseph. They didn't recognize him, but suddenly they're all there before Joseph. And eventually Joseph makes himself known to his brothers. To say, I am Joseph, the one that you sold into slavery. But this is the key point that Joseph says at that point. Genesis 50, verse 20. Looking at his brothers, as for you, you, what you meant, you meant evil against me. What your intention was to harm me. You wanted me out of your life. You hated me. You wanted me out of there. And I had to go through years of injustice. You meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What you intended for evil against me, God intended for my good. Oh, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. But this is years later. You see, there will come a time in our lives when what we're going through and what we face will actually make sense. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to happen today. But we have to trust that God is able to help us. You know, it's not just Joseph. I've got a couple more. I'll run through this very quickly. What about Daniel? I was thinking about Daniel. Daniel, the story of Daniel, Daniel was taken from Jerusalem and he was taken into Babylon and he was exiled there. Yeah, but he was... He was in the Babylonian government. It was okay for him. He had a sorted job. That's a sort of, you know, I, that's an attitude I've had. Oh, he's okay. He was a godly man. God sorted him out. Hang on a second. He was living in Jerusalem. And he was amongst the higher echelons of society in Jerusalem. He had a good life in Jerusalem. He was serving God, but he was serving his community. It was good. He was taken from that. That life was stripped away from him and he was taken by the Babylonians as a, a captive into Babylon. So suddenly, you, you, this is my life here. My life is completely uprooted. Everything that I had, all the benefits that I had, they're stripped away from me and now I find myself in a foreign country. And not only do I find myself in a foreign country, I'm now supposed to work for this government that came and attacked me and took away my life. Do, do they think they know what they're doing? You can imagine the attitude that we would expect Daniel to have. His attitude surely should have been, who do they think they are? If they think I'm going to serve them, I'm going to cause as much trouble, I'm going to do... That type of attitude is what I would have expected. Because that's the type of attitude that we find ourselves in when things start to get tough. Does God know what he's doing? Why am I going through this? Why is it so hard? Yesterday was hard enough. Today seems even harder. What on earth's going on? How long is this going to happen? That's how we come against such things. But Daniel, he was a godly man. And he came into Babylon and he says like, Wow, this is a different environment. I don't know about this. I've got to go through all this learning of all this completely different culture. And some of it was very deep into witchcraft. So this is not godly as far as he's concerned. What is going on here? What does he do? He says, like, okay, he's been given food to eat. He says, okay, I'm not going to defile myself by eating this food. I'm going to keep myself to a fasted life. I'm going to keep myself on track with God because I'm going to allow God to work in my life despite the circumstances that are going on around me, because I am going to choose to believe that God is for me, not against me. I'm going to choose to believe that he is always over my life, working his purposes out. I don't understand all of his purposes, but I know that he will help me. That's the inner attitude that Daniel held. And what do we see God being able to do? Because we've already read that God works out all things in conformity with his purpose and will. And his purpose and will actually for Daniel was, yes, I've given you that honorable life, that exalted life in Jerusalem, but I need you to serve in the courts of, of Nebuchadnezzar and in his government. Why? Because I want to use you to bring my name to that nation. There's a purpose. God had an amazing purpose. 
And if you read the story of Daniel, which is helpfully found in the book of Daniel, if you read that story, you will see there how that through various circumstances, Daniel was elevated because of his faithfulness, because of his consistency, because of his trust. And God used him to bring the most powerful man at that time straight before God. So that Nebuchadnezzar himself was heard to say, uh, was heard to say this. Uh, Daniel 4 verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now imagine, this is a despotic ruler who, does, who just says, oh, off with their heads and it's happening. And yet he's coming to worship God. He's acknowledging who God is. All because the man Daniel went through his trials and his adversity. He stayed faithful. What about, let me just give you one more. What about Moses? Story of Moses, book of Exodus, the beginning. That's where you can read this. Story of Moses, all the baby boys need to be killed. So when Moses is born, he's put in a basket, floated on the river, just to keep him safe, because his parents want him. They want him kept safe. And God wanted him safe too, because God arranged for Pharaoh's daughter to come and wash in those waters. Hey, what's that? What's that basket? What's that crying I can hear? And it's Moses, the baby, crying, bring that baby to me. And she says, I'm going to bring him up as my son. So from the possibility of being killed, Moses is brought into the palace and into the family of Pharaoh. And for the first 40 years of his life, that is his life. Talk about privileged position. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. But within him, Moses recognized, I'm not really an Egyptian, I'm an Israelite. Because God has put something in him. And he wants his people, the Israelites, to know greater freedom. He wants them to know greater blessing. And he has a heart for them. And one day he finds them arguing with an, an Egyptian, Israelites and Egyptians arguing. And Moses steps in and kills the Egyptian. And it became known that he had done that. And that became known to Pharaoh, and he had to escape Egypt with his life. Stop the story there. Stop the story there for a moment. Okay, wow, God protected me in the early days, and I've had a fantastic upbringing. I've known all the luxuries of life. I've been living in the palace for the last 40 years. I've had privilege. But now I've had to leave. And now I become a shepherd in the wilderness. And I take that position for the next 40 years. I've gone from palace to shepherd. Now, one, you know, at the beginning, it's okay. It's a new life. Okay, this is what I'm going to... But think of the disappointment. What about the feelings that I had for my nation? Whatever's going to happen. God, don't you know? God, don't you care? Why have you put me through this? Why am I having to face this? But after 40 years of being that shepherd, God says, 
okay, now the training's finished. And he calls him out of a burning bu- with a burning bush and says, I want you to go. I want you to rescue my people because I have a purpose for your life. It took Moses 80 years of training before he came into the position that God says, I want to use you. Now, I'm not saying here, just you've got to reach the age of 80, okay? But I want all of us to hear, we need to have confidence in God that he knows what he's doing, despite our circumstances. And our circumstances can be many and varied. Our circumstances can be pressing us down at this time. Our circumstances can seem relentless. Our circumstances can seem never-ending. But we have to have confidence in who God is. He is the one who is over all. He is the supreme one. He is the uncreated one. He is the one who is working out all things in conformity to his purpose and his will. We don't know the day of breakthrough. We don't know the day of deliverance. We don't know the day when oppression is going to be ended. We don't know its date. But it's known in heaven. And we've got to trust in him. That he is able to do what he said he would do. You know, in Romans 8.28, it says of this, and we need to receive this into our lives. And we know, writes Paul, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And you know what? If you're a Christian here, you've been called according to the purposes of God. And he is working out his plans in conformity with the purpose of his will through your lives. Our job is to surrender to him, to surrender our will. And our will, if you like, the surrender of our will is that we're surrendering the fact that we want to do this our way. But surrendering is saying, all right, God, you do things in my life your way. That's what surrendering is. It's no longer saying, I demand this. Why are things going, this is not fair. God It's not fair as far as I'm concerned, but I'm letting you have your way in my life. I'm coming under your authority. I'm confessing that you are boss. God wants us to enjoy him, as it were, as our brand. He's always faithful. He's always consistent. He's always the same. He is in charge of all things. He is faithful to his word. And regardless of whatever our situation is, or even how hard it is, we can declare that he is for us, not against us. He is the lifter of our head. He is the lover of our soul. He has not forgotten about us. He has not abandoned us. But he is working his purposes out. And we want to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.